Right. Well, I know we've done some praying, but I'm going to go ahead and pray again just to get us started with the study here uh, before we get into God's Word. Um, again, Lord, we just come to you, and what, a, what an awesome thing that you gave us, Lord, this, this remembrance that we can come together and come before you and uh, with one another. I just pray, Lord, for our fellowship that you would give us that unity of heart, of spirit, of mind. Thank you for using us here in this community of Canyon City, and I pray you would continue just to, to send us out into this community in our jobs and in our whatever scenarios we find ourselves, and um, give us a heart for this community, God. Those of us that have lived here a long time, sometimes it feels you know, just that small town thing, and I just pray give us a passion and a desire to see people be saved in this town. Lord, I lift up those who are sick in our fellowship this morning, and I pray for your comfort and your healing and, and your provision for them, Lord, that you would give them strength and, and help them through the things that they're, they're dealing with, that they would seek your healing, give them faith and, and hope in you, Lord, and and just comfort them in their, in their distress, Lord. God, I lift up the various ministries in our church, the men's ministry, the women's ministry, those involved in the pastoral care who go and visit and uh, care for those who, who can't get out, for our children's ministry, for the bridge and youth uh, ministries, the preschool, and all those who serve in, in security and worship in the kitchen and who clean and, and all these other things that go often unnoticed, Lord. I just lift up all these things to you, God, and again, pray that they would be done to your glory with joy and, and gratitude and, and uh, thank you for those opportunities, Lord, that you give us to serve. I pray for families in our fellowship, for marriages, and, and Lord, for us as parents, just help us to parent our children rightly in this, in this culture that we're in that we would love our spouses sacrificially and completely and help us, Lord, to live um, in a way that puts others' needs before our own, Lord, and particularly, God, in our families and our marriages and, and in other areas as well. God, and as we were talking about our great nation, this great nation that you've allowed us to live in and, and the freedoms that we have, and, Lord, we know our nation's struggling right now, morally, ethically, spiritually. Lord, we just lift up our country and pray that, those, um, that there would be a return, Lord, to righteousness and a return to um, your law and your word. And we pray for our president that you would give him godly wisdom, put good and godly people around him and, and help him to make good decisions. And, and for all the leaders, all all the way down, Lord, our state government, our local government. We just lift them up to you, Lord, and, and pray that, uh, again, Lord, for, for good, godly, spiritual leadership that would honor you. I lift these things up, and, and, and well, I just want to pray also, Lord, help me in this study today, Lord, and help us, Lord, to hear from you from your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Curtis is on top of it as usual. He's got the announcements for the fellowship today. We have no youth group this Wednesday. Have a safe and fun 4th of July. Uh, the youth outdoor, um, we are doing uh, 
It's a really cool thing. If you have youth and they want to be a part of this, it's a combined church. There's other churches from the community um, that are coming, and we are doing this at 7.30 to 9 p.m. It doesn't have a date. During summer break, what's the day? Not this Wednesday. All Wednesdays except this Wednesday. Right out here at the amphitheater, we have this great amphitheater that has a you know, fire pit and everything, and the kids get together out there. So make sure your youth, or if you are youth, please be there. It will be a great time. Uh, the women's retreat uh, is coming up in uh, Glen Irie Conference Center in Colorado Springs, September 7th through 9th. Cost is $175 which is a bargain. I was looking for hotels the other day. You can't hardly find a hotel for that much for one night, and this includes everything for a couple nights. So um, accommodations and meals, please sign up at the information desk if you plan on attending. We'd love to have the registration completed by July 8th, and we have a family camp coming up August 9th through 12th. See Curtis for details. All those things are in your bulletin, so if you didn't get a bulletin, grab one of those, and um, it should have all that in there. So we just got finished with communion. Why did Jesus say, this is why I'm giving my blood? We just read it. The forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus says is at the crux of why he's doing what he's doing. Now there's many words that could serve to describe or even summarize our Christian faith. Anybody want to venture a word, one word that kind of describes your walk with Christ or how you view your faith. Anybody? Just redeemed. Great word. What's another one? Obedience. Right on. Right on. That's a good one. Grace. Amen. Amen. All these are great words, right? I have some down myself. Love, faith, grace, sacrifice. Joy. Hopefully that's a part of it too. And all these are great words, but this word forgiveness is such a crucial concept. And a lot of the words that you mentioned even have to do with that and say so much about who God is and who we are to be. It's a theme that Jesus taught on repeatedly, both directly and indirectly. Mark 1. Let's just start there. Mark is a great gospel. I talked about John last month. That's a great gospel, too. They're all great. But Mark is one of these gospels that just hits the ground. I mean, it is the gospel. It hits the ground running. I mean, it's an action gospel. It's a gospel of now. You know, we open the book of Mark, and John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, they're adults. They're already, they've already lived, and they're already doing. And John the Baptist is, um, in Mark 1, 4... John appeared. You know, this is very immediate kind of language. John appeared in baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism. Let's hear it again. Of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was not a baptism of regeneration like we enjoy today, this was a precursor, the template from which all of Jesus' earthly ministry would springboard from, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Only a few verses down, after Jesus is baptized, again, the first chapter of Mark is, is just 
full of stuff. I mean, and it's just stuff is just happening. And uh, obviously there's a time frame there, but it's just this very immediate. But only a few verses down, after Jesus himself is baptized, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Let me read verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. This is when Jesus comes back from the wilderness, the temptation, and he's officially kind of starting his earthly ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See that word again, repent. Now, this is not a super popular word in our culture today, is it? <laughs> repent. If you go and say that to people today, you know, you're going to get a sideways kind of look. Basically, that word, we picture some wide-eyed fanatic, fanatic on the corner of a busy city you know, with the sandwich board. Repent! The kingdom of heaven! You know, the kingdom is near! The end is near! And that's this caricature that our society has kind of created along with this. The, the, that's a lot, a lot of people, when they hear that word, that's kind of what they picture. Just a, just a psycho. And, uh, but the reality is, repentance... Simply admitting that you're wrong, that you've made a mistake, that you're flawed as a human being, is something that most people not only appreciate, but expect. I mean, think about this. We instinctively recoil from the person who likes to pretend they're perfect, like they have all the answers, because we know it's fake, because we all realize that no human being can ever be perfect. And that's true in the world, and it's true in the church. Those who stay aloof, who are not open about their need to repent, they often end up isolated and ineffective in the ministry, in their family, and they're in danger of falling away. And I've seen this many, many times. It's truly the legalist that is in most danger of becoming overcome with pride and self-importance. Now, in the world, it's actually considered a psychological defect for someone to think that they're perfect. I mean, even the, even the secular psychological world understands that that's delusional for someone to think that they don't have room for improvement. Let me just put it that way. Are we all in agreement kind of there? It's often demonstrated, and this is just secular stuff. I'm not, I'm not advocating, you know, this, but it says, um, you know, these are traits that we see people with narcissistic-type disorders. That's what they call it. I mean, we call it selfishness, but um, people that are defined as sociopaths, right? I mean, the world looks at someone who says that they don't have room for improvement, that they're perfect, that, that really often at the root of that is some sort of psychological problem, some kind of defect, because that's delusional. Are we catching up there? So um, hopefully that's making sense. And look at our society today. So there's nothing that we like more right now as a culture, I'm not saying individually or for you personally, but as a culture, than for some fallen hero to come crawling in front of the cameras, a tear in the eye, a broken shell of themselves after being caught in some scandal or another, right? And to make some soppy, sad sack apology and to plead for our forgiveness. 
I mean, that's something our culture just loves now. Someone, one of these celebrities, they, they say something, they make an off-color joke or something like that, and then they have to parade in front of the cameras, and I'm so sorry because please don't hate me because I count on your money to make me so rich. And, you know, and all these politicians, they do the same thing, right? I mean, and we, and we just do that, right? I mean, that's, what, that's this ritual that we've kind of gotten into. We expect people to repent, of their errors when they are found outside of the norms of, of what we as a society have deemed appropriate. And that's getting a narrower and narrower definition, isn't it? I mean, you step just barely out of that and you, you are persecuted and we expect those people to admit they're wrong and to come and make it right before the public. But when it comes to sin, the concept that we need to admit that we're fallen, that when we, the creation, disobey God, who is our creator, when we disobey his word, that that's not okay. The idea that sin, of regardless how small we think it may be, is deserving of eternal punishment. I mean, these things, there's a disconnect. The idea that we need to come and confess and forsake those things both to God and to one another that's kind of off limits because they don't define these things necessarily in a spiritual way. That's because when we judge our defects against those of our peers, we can justify certain bad behaviors and misclassify them as non-sins. You know, I was talking to my father who is, I mean, he's totally out there. My, My dad is just way out there. But he has a friend from college who is a full-blown anarchist. I mean, one of these guys that you know, lives off-grid, and he is a political activist, anarchist, just complete nut job. So for my dad, he looks at him and thinks he's really normal. But, you know, I look at And so we all have that person, and I laughed when I was talking to my dad about that. I said, well, I guess we all have someone in our life that we need like that, right? So we can point to and say, well, I'm not him. And that's what we do as human beings in our culture. We judge ourselves against ourselves. And the Apostle Paul would say, um, you know, would warn us against that. But when we judge our hearts against God, against the majesty and perfection of Jesus, it's painfully evident we've got some repenting to do. And here's the thing I think the world really misses about this concept. Not so that we can be less. Repentance doesn't make you less or so that we can be restricted or confined. Jesus wants us to repent and be forgiven so that we could be more, so that we could be what he wants us to be, what he created us to be, and it opens up unimaginable possibilities in our life when we do that. And the world thinks it's the exact opposite. When we repent and we, when we, they look at it as groveling or whatever before God, that it's, it's, you're giving up something. And it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's opening up the doors of heaven to your life. I think it's interesting that Jesus in Mark 1.15, that verse that I just read, he goes straight from repentance. says, repent. He doesn't say, and be forgiven. He says, and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he kind of skips over that, but that's because forgiveness in the eyes of God is simply the result of repentance. 
It's just the effect of it. When we repent, he promises us every single time he will forgive us. It's like, I mean, I can't even think of an example, but it's cause and effect. And it's through faith, not just that belief as an idea or an abstract concept, but as a wholehearted trust and life-changing reliance that we can enter into a state of true relational dependence or unity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's just an effect of that, that repentance equals forgiveness and forgiveness equals faith. And that faith leads us to a relationship with God, and that's the whole point. That's the whole point of why God, why Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it starts with repentance, but it certainly does not end there. It ends with nothing less than perfection, a perfect, a perfect eternal bliss that we can't even begin to imagine. So in this re, uh, forgiveness, it's been my experience, and maybe some of you as well, that forgiveness, true forgiveness, takes great power. You guys agree with that? A great mastery of our emotions, a great power over ourselves, a power over our prejudices, our bias, our hurts. And I think the Bible teaches that true forgiveness is only possible with divine help, that we can only forgive so far or so much without God's help. We don't have the capacity within ourselves to forgive the way that God forgives us. And the thing is with God is completely. It's not like I forgive you, but I don't trust you. You know what I mean? I forgive you, but I never want to talk to you again. You know, that's the kind, that's the kind of fake forgiveness that we can kind of muster up on our own. But the way God forgives us completely with no strings attached. You know, I'll forgive you if you can do this, or if you agree to this, or we kind of put conditions on it sometimes. Now, Jesus demonstrated his power in numerous ways while he was on earth. Power over creation, or even matter itself. Some guys, you know, you may remember the, his first recorded miracle, the wedding at Cana, water into wine. And if you really study that out, that is a true mastery of just matter on this atomic level. You know, wine has to be aged. Wine has to be crafted in this in really intense way. I mean, there's these particular types of wood that they use for the barrels and all this kind of stuff. And it's a very um, complex process that Jesus just, water to wine. Power over the weather and the sea and the waves prompting at one point his awestruck disciples to say, Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Power over religious hypocrisy. Power over his own flesh by living a sinless life, by resisting those temptations that, that he endured that are common to all of us. Power over demons and the powers of darkness. Powers over disability and disease. And these healings, some of which were instantly and physically transformative. I mean, that's the... I was watching this really old black and white movie um, 
about Jesus, and it's a form. I mean, this thing is really old, and it's subtitled, and the, the effects are terrible in this movie. And, but there's this scene where this guy comes up to Jesus, and it's, repre- it's, a, it's the time where Jesus is, a leper comes up to him. Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I, I'm willing, be clean. And he's healed like that. Well, in, the, in this movie, you know, he comes up and he's horribly disfigured. He has a, like a kind of a hood on. He's got this stuff. And then they just do this really bad cut in the film where all of a sudden they just take all his makeup off and put him in the same spot. And, you know, and it's that, bam. And it's, you know, that's how it probably was. Everything as bad as us. And these, these, you know, we remember that the cripples and people that were really physically deformed, they would just change right in front of everybody. And that was one of the ways that Jesus um, demonstrated his power, not as like a magic trick or something, but to testify to who he was, right? And he, des- he, he demonstrated that power over and over again, even power over life and death itself by raising at least three people from the dead and then himself rising from the dead. But one of the most truly powerful things Jesus ever said while hanging on the cross in unimaginable agony, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, to me, that is one of the most powerful things anybody has ever said or done to be hanging on that cross He doesn't say, forgive them. I mean, he doesn't say, judge them or condemn them or annihilate them, but forgive them. And this was his purpose, his nature, and his heart towards his creation. And as he had said many years prior to this, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Jesus began his earthly ministry with repent and believe, and he ends on the same note, forgive them for they know not what they do. And do you know Jesus is the only one who had the right to ask this? He's the only one that had cred with God in this matter. Do you understand? He's the only one that could say that because of what he was going through at that moment. And we're not saying, uh, you know, there's there's this thing... We've spoken a lot about Jesus' forgiveness. And I'm kind of skipping a part, so forgive me. But he says, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? We, we know Jesus forgives. We know his capacity, his power to do that is just really unimaginable. But then he calls us his children, his friends, his servants, his followers. What does that mean for us, for those who have been forgiven? those who have been saved, those who have repented and continue to confess our sins and seek his mercy. What does that mean for us? What is expected of us? And one thing I like to point out to my Sunday school class when I do that back in the back, the middle school kids who are awesome, one of which, a few of which are in here, is that Jesus did these things as an example for us, right? We can look at his life and his teachings and understand he did these things to show us how we are to be. That's one of the reasons he came and existed as a human being, for us to take lessons from his life, from his teachings, from, who, from how he acted. Now, um, you know, how he lived, how he prayed, how he served, that should serve as an example to us 
on how to please our Lord. Jesus said at one point, I always do the things that please the Lord. So if we want to please the Lord, we try to act like Jesus. That's what I'm getting at. So um, now obviously we're not going to be out going around walking on water. Maybe some of you can do that. But we may be called to unexpected tests of faith which seem contrary to our nature. We may not end up crucified. Hopefully not. But we may suffer persecution and testing. And that's what I'm, you guys get the point. One thing we can certainly glean from this example is that Jesus did what he said. He practiced what he preached. And I've mentioned this before. He always backed it up. That's a sign of a great leader to not only talk, but to back it up. Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And he backed this up in the most incredible way while on the cross. We're not talking about praying for some guy that talked bad behind your back. We're not talking about someone who cheated you out of a few bucks or who stole your girl back in high school or someone who hurt your feelings. We're talking about the very men who whipped him and spit in his face, who smashed a twisted crown of thorns into his skull, who drove jagged iron spikes into his hands and feet, and he says, forgive them. Forgive them. And I know the father heard that prayer. I think that these guys, these Roman soldiers, we're probably going to see in heaven that they're going to be hanging out there. I mean, I, I mean, we don't have any scriptural evidence of that, but Jesus prayed that, and I think the Father heard that prayer. That these hateful, ignorant men will be in heaven feasting and laughing, along, laughing alongside saints like David or Daniel or Moses or Billy Graham. That is the power of the forgiveness of Christ. So I want to turn to Luke 17. It seems like we might end early. You guys are going to like me so much. If we leave early, hang out a little bit and talk to some people. Don't, don't make a beeline for your car, okay? <laughs> That's the, or else I'm going to go long, okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, Luke 17. Luke 17. And I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Then the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say, to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. 
Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So, first of all, he speaks of this, the terrible consequences of sin. Then, given the seriousness of these consequences, if someone repents, even repeatedly for what would appear to be the same offense, you've got to forgive. You must forgive. He uses that word, must. Must really doesn't leave any other options. You know, and at this point, after he says that, the light kind of goes on for the disciples, and they realize what a completely impossible mandate this is. And they cry out, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Seven times in the same, same day the guy comes back to me. In response, Jesus states they only need a tiny bit of faith. That such faith can do the impossible. Plant a fruit tree in the salty sea. Then he goes on to give this example, saying basically it's really no big deal. It's just your duty. It's your calling. It's your job as my disciples to forgive, to serve, to humble yourselves. Because that's where the miraculous is made possible. In obedience and faith. Someone even said that word. And this again, this isn't the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is speaking of this. He taught on forgiveness all the time. Luke 6.37, judge not that you be not judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Matthew 6.14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, another word for sins, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 18, 31 through 35. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And there's lots of other examples in Scripture. I'll give you one more, Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. In all of these verses that we just read, there's this connection. And it's kind of scary, right? It's this kind of scary thing. If we don't forgive we're in jeopardy of not partaking of the forgiveness that Jesus shed his blood for. If we hold these things in our heart, if we hold people to a standard that we admittedly do not want to be held to, then we are in jeopardy in some way. Is this the reality in our lives? Is this what we're about? Because Jesus went to incredible lengths to forgive. And if we're not about that, how can we be like him? we often go to incredible lengths not to forgive, right? 
we avoid people, we make sure we're not going to be at the same places with certain people and things like that, you know what I mean? We often go to incredible lengths not to forgive, to not make things right. Jesus went incredible lengths, two incredible lengths, to make our forgiveness possible. I don't know of any other time in all of Scripture where the disciples seem so exasperated, so clearly faced with their weakness in this area, they had asked Jesus at one point, teach us how to pray. They were at a loss about how to feed the 5,000. Remember, they were kind of confused. I don't know how we're going to do this, but never, nowhere else in Scripture do I see them just so, so you know, blown away. Increase our faith. What you're asking us to do is impossible. We know at one point, Jesus said, not just seven times either, guys. You're not keeping count? Seven times seven. Referring to an eternity of forgiveness that we're supposed to offer. They asked for faith. And I think that's interesting too. Why faith? Why not love? Why not compassion or empathy or understanding? Because I think they understood how difficult it is to believe that someone can change. Have you guys had that in your life? Someone can change, especially someone who's hurt you over and over and over again. To believe that things might be different, to hope against hope and to trust in the Lord. But Jesus is saying, if you believe what I'm saying and trust me to do this, you will see miracles take place. You will see and experience things that you never imagined. When Jesus says, this mulberry tree, I picture them sitting under this very tree, maybe even snacking on its fruit, resting in its shade. A mulberry tree, another word for that is a sycamore tree. It's a type of sycamore fig tree. This is a huge tree, an ancient type of tree. They grow up to about 60 feet tall and about that wide. They're a very big canopy tree, like a giant mushroom. Again, it's an ancient tree represented in a lot of the art in the tombs of ancient Egypt. It was a sacred tree to the Egyptians, like the tree of life, because it was this huge, abundant, seemingly permanent type of tree that had been there for literally thousands of years. And perhaps they're sitting under such a tree. In the past, I, you know, until I really researched what this tree looked like, you, know, you kind of picture like most of the trees that I've planted are, are little, right? You, gotta, you go to the store and you get them, and if they get too big, you need equipment and everything. So we plant these little trees, and maybe I've kind of pictured that in my heart. This is a massive type of tree. But one thing that I also learned about sycamore fig trees or mulberry trees is they don't grow in the ocean. Do you know that? They grow in very arid conditions. They don't grow in the sea. So clearly Jesus is saying something very unusual. And of course, what's the point of us if we've got so much faith that we're going to go around planting trees in the sea? I mean, what would be the point of that? I mean, it'd be ridiculous, right? We understand Jesus is talking symbolically here. There are some that try to take these kind of literal verses like this and say, you know, that we should be able to physically command things like have superpowers in the world with our faith. 
That's clearly not what Jesus is talking about. It would serve no purpose for the kingdom of God if I had the ability to go out here and uproot the trees and plant them down in the river. You know, people would think I was pretty cool maybe for a while, but which would be okay, I guess. It would be fun <laughs> to be able to do that. But he's referring to the fact that if we forgive, that forgiveness exercised by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit will bear fruit in the most unlikely and even seemingly impossible ways. That tree being planted out there, that's, that's the kind of thing God can do spiritually in your life and in the lives of the people who have even hurt you. There's only one other place in which a sycamore tree is described in the New Testament. Does anybody know where that might be? Oh, the kids know. Because Zacchaeus, yeah, little Zacchaeus, right? He climbed up in this tree to see Jesus. Jesus was coming into the city of Jericho, and Zacchaeus was, we're told in the Scripture, a man of short stature, and he couldn't see, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree as Jesus was coming in, and Jesus said, hey, you, Zacchaeus, I must go to your house today and eat. And that same word again, he must. He's compelled to. Now, We know that Zacchaeus was short, and that's kind of the reason that it gives that he climbed up in the tree. But Zacchaeus was hated by his local community. He was a tax collector. He was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He had grown rich off of skimming the fat off the Roman tribute. Okay, he had abused people. He had cut deals with people to his advantage. He had, you know, and so the community looked at this guy as kind of a pariah. He had to climb the tree because no one was going to give him cuts. You know, it's not just about being short. He didn't have any relationships. People despised this guy. And we get that from the context of that story. People weren't crazy about Zacchaeus. He had questionable morals. He was a man of the world. But Jesus saw him and called him and hung out with him. And Zacchaeus comes to repentance and forgiveness. And he becomes a great benefactor for the kingdom. He says, I'll give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've given, which could have been in, in today's money, millions of dollars. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was the richest man around. And he said, I'll give half of what I have to, to the poor. After hanging out with Jesus. It's in Luke 19, uh, 8 through 10. And I'll read it real quick. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So of all the people in Jericho, nobody expected Zacchaeus to end up with Jesus forgiven, a son of Abraham, repentant, giving all his stuff to the poor. I mean, you've got to get that through our head, you know, that that's who Jesus is going after. The most unlikely candidate, Zacchaeus himself, climbing the sycamore tree, this fig tree, see the kind of the connection, I mean... The Bible is so great in that it does this, but he is that tree. 
He climbs the tree, but he is that tree. He's that tree that Jesus, through faith and that through repentance and forgiveness, he becomes the fruitful and abundant giving servant of Christ like that. That's the power of forgiveness, guys. And no one saw it coming. That's the other thing, too. No one saw it coming. Not even Zacchaeus, right? He was surprised. He didn't even see it coming. But that's the kind of thing that the Lord wants to do, that crazy, unexpected stuff in all of our lives if we just have faith. If we just put away all the garbage and the doubt and the pride, and if we forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven. Maybe you guys have a Zacchaeus in your life. Maybe I do. I mean, I have been a businessman in this community for 20 years. And there's people that I have more respect for a dog than some people around here. I mean, I'll just say it. That doesn't mean I hate them. I'm just saying on a respect level, I've had interactions. I've seen dishonesty and, and the same kind of stuff that Zacchaeus was going through. And, you know, you see him at Walmart, and you're like, oh, I know about you. Mm-hmm. I know what you're like. And, man, God really spoke to me through this. You know, it's like we don't know what he's going to do. That, that same person could turn around and be this great servant of God and, and, and go on to do great things for the kingdom. But if I'm sitting there holding a grudge, and if God wants to use me in their life some way or somehow, how can that happen? If I'm not willing to be like my Lord. Maybe you guys have a family member in your life that you think is hopeless. Maybe you have a friend at work that is the most foul-mouthed, bad joke-telling, just, you know. We all have somebody in our life that we would possibly look at like Zacchaeus. But that's who Jesus went to. That's who Jesus called out of the tree. And... um, you know, a lesson for me to have to have that expectation of the miraculous. You know, we talk a lot about miracles in our society today. We people say they want to see miracles. I don't know what kind of miracles, but the miracle of a changed life—that's something that the world can't wrap their head around. You know, that's something that gets the world's attention, whether they admit it or not. And maybe not after a day or a week. But after a few years of living for Christ and seeing that fruit in their life and seeing other people affected, man, that is so huge. That's a great, great witness. But if we keep what God's done in our lives to ourselves and we hold it and we don't share it and we try to disseminate who's worthy and who isn't and who God's chosen and who he hasn't, then, man, we're missing out. Because I think God does want to do a miracle in this community and, and in your own families, and again, in those situations that you would otherwise look at as impossible. Something equally impossible to a tree being planted in the ocean. So let's come up, do one last song, and you've got a few minutes to hang out. I'll keep going. Everybody going to leave? You're going to stay a little bit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll pray before you start. So Lord... You know, these oftentimes are hard lessons, Lord, and I'm sure each and every one of us has someone in our mind or in our heart that we've maybe given up on or who we think you've given up on. And I pray just give us faith, faith that moves mountains, Lord, and not a literal mountain, Lord, but the mountain 
of bias or prejudice or just anger or bitterness or whatever it is, these mountains in our life, Lord, that keep us from fulfilling your will. Help me, help all of us, Lord, to keep coming back to your word and to you, your spirit, to, to just see where we need to improve, where you want to use us, where we can be effective, Lord, again, for your kingdom. And I pray for your blessing on everybody here today. Help us, Lord, to, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.